theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Amy. Good morning, Dr. Joy. How are you today? I'm doing great. We're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects today. We're going to talk about STEM and why it's so important and kind of what's going on in the STEM arena today. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce, STEM occupations are growing at 17% compared to any other occupation at about 9.8%. And STEM degree holders like myself, we tend to earn more money. I don't know about that part, you know, <laughs> but people with STEM degrees, they tend to earn more money. They just play such a key role in our economy. And especially we're talking about global warming all the time. They just play such a key role. I started, Amy, out of college. My first position was as a research microscopist. And if you don't know what a research microscopist is, share played a uh, research microscopist in Silkwood. Do you know that movie? Are you old enough to even know that movie? No, I don't know that one. <laughs> so she played a research microscopist and my job, this was during Desert Storm. I don't know if you ever remembered, I'm dating myself. And my job was to isolate plutonium and uranium particles and things like that. So really, really important job. But that was my first job out of college. I, it was easy actually to get a job in my field in STEM. Well, and something else I'm really eager to talk about are alternate pathways to get into STEM fields. Yeah, we're, that's exciting because I started in college. There's so many alternate pathways, not just for students, but for adults too. So I think we should talk about what does STEM mean? So STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. So most people are kind of accustomed to that now but STEM is everywhere. One concern that I do have about the STEM field is are we doing enough to prepare our students for STEM fields? Some schools have added coding as early as kindergarten, which is great, but I'd like for us to get to a place where even in our home, STEM is really important. Like you teach your kids how to cook, how to clean, do their finances, all those things that we think are essential for their life, but so is STEM. My other concern, which I want us to talk about today, is the disparity of STEM initiatives, especially when we talk about marginalized schools and communities. I'm looking forward to us talking to one such person today who has activated STEM. Absolutely. Dr. Andrew Hines 
is with us from Green Core Chicago. Dr. Hines holds a PhD in community psychology and a master's in geography with a concentration in community, urban, and economic development. And he is an Air Force veteran. Born and raised in Chicago, Drew graduated from Chicago High School for Agricultural Sciences. His ancestral roots are in agriculture and teaching. He felt that those legacies drove him to his mission that he now champions today. Drew oversees staff, consultants, and is responsible for managing the planning, operational, and administrative functions for the City of Chicago's Green Corps Chicago program. Drew is passionate about workforce development and social service programs that assist underserved populations and communities to become more economically stable. Drew loves learning about African-American ethnography and is a champion of social justice. And we're going to talk about that today. I believe he is a social justice grandbaby. So welcome to our show, Dr. Hines. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. How you doing? Hey, Dr. Joy, how are you? Good morning, Dr. Hines. Drew, good to see you this morning. I want to start with, because you have such an amazing story. As Dr. Amy said, you are a social justice baby. But tell us about your beginning. Tell us how this started. What made you the person that you are? And also your beginning when you got into urban agriculture. Okay. So, uh, like I said, I was born, kind of born and raised literally in the uh, Black Baptist Church. My grandparents from edicts and direction of Martin Luther King and all the CLC and the SNCC uh, organizations down in the South came to Chicago, uh, along with Jesse Jackson and my great uncle, the Reverend Dr. Clay Evans, started Operation Breadbasket. So Breadbasket predates Rainbow Push, predating Operation Push. So that was back way, you know, before I was born. So that kind of ancestral DNA kind of came up during the generations. And then my mom was actually the Jesse Jackson's first secretary, uh, Operation Breadbasket. It's like a like a fraternal plumb line there. And then what I did was my day, my grand, grandparents were raised on a farm. And then when I was 15, I was at, uh, I attended the Chicago High School for Agricultural Sciences. It was kind of crazy because I was just, you know, throwing corn around and playing in the dirt, you know, stuff like that. And didn't really understand the complexity of what I did, uh, complexity of farming and urban ag. But I learned horticulture, I learned botany, I learned arbory. You learn how, you know, soil composition is soils, not dirt, it's soil. You know, so the soil composition, right. we all call it dirt, but it's soil right. composition and how the breakdown of it, how the nitrogen, you know, and the uh, crop rotation and, you know, this, that, you know, just starting just to understand the complexity of it. And then went to uh, University of Tennessee. I actually studied behavioral science there, but I always had a yearning towards agriculture because my grandma had, a, you know, one of those victory gardens back in the, uh, during the time when they had the World War II. And that was my mother's side. Now my father's side, the like sixth great grand father, which is called the Daddy Hines, from which I'm named after. He was actually a farmer in, in Powell, Texas. And then his wife, which is Cecilia, 
Joanne, um, she actually was, she had graduated in 1887 from Selma University. So, you know, I showed you, you know, you, you saw the commencement. Yes, yes. That was amazing. You know, right. So, it was, and I was trying to figure out why this tug of like agriculture and tug of teaching were pulling on me. So that was like that ancestral stuff kind of DNA is powerful. You know what I'm saying? Coming through. But I feel like, you know, we have to definitely understand nature from that uh, standpoint. But so that kind of, you know, doing psychology and teaching at city colleges and all this other stuff, I was given the opportunity to head Green Corps. And I was like, hmm, I said, this is something I really want to do. So it was a natural fit and a natural progression for me to be where I'm at right now. So I feel like, you know, that ancestral DNA, that those ancestral spirits tugging on me, my education, the uh, my social justice roots, you know, kind of all you know, encompassed to what I'm doing right now. So, I mean, you have really big shoes to fill. You do yeah. have this uh, ancestral DNA to do the work that you're doing, but you were in law enforcement at one time. Yes, I was. Yeah. How did you connect the dots? How did you go from law enforcement to urban agriculture? You know, did you, you went back to school? You right. know, what, yeah. what sparked all that? You know, so my granddad, you know, he, you know, he was a policeman on the on the railroad. Actually, he um, was a Pullman porter before he did that. So you know, he was a Philip Randolph. Yeah. He, I mean, they were real good friends. Like I'm like. Hey, Philip Randolph, wow, you know, and then all his friends and buddies were, you know, like law enforcement and stuff like that. So I thought that was my natural progression to go. But then what I started to see was I was actually good at kind of mentoring and good at kind of helping, you know, the young guys, because I would just see guys being locked up, being locked up. And it's like, man, you know, they were really good individuals, really good guys. They just were misguided, and misdirected. So ended up, you know, getting hurt on the job. And I said, OK. And sometimes you got to listen to that, those ancestral DNA knocking at you. So they did that. And it was like, hmm, geography. Wow. Okay. And I've always loved geography, the, the dynamics of nature. So I kind of just went into that, started helping people, but I concentrated in community economic and urban development. So how can we take what we have and then use it and use the tools and use the nature and environment around us? to be able to make our lives different. Cause that's really all geography is, is understanding spaces and how people take and, and, and react, react, but also interact in those spaces to make, you know, produce life. Cause a community, all community is, is a subset of people with like-minded interests. Right. And that's what, that's what it is. So yeah, so that's kind of what happened. And I just haven't turned back. And so I saw was on one side of it, say, okay, well, I'm dealing with the issues and the problems. So I say, okay, well, let me jump over here and let me help solve some of these issues or help be a change maker or be a part of the solution. At one point in time that I was actually being a uh, punitive person in terms of we, we, got, we got the end results. So I want to be at the beginning of the line. So it kind of helped to kind of min minimize those end results of, of guys, you know, going into the criminal justice system and stuff like that. So. Well, you were talking about being led, being called maybe, mm -hmm. that head position at Green Corps, mm -hmm. and it had to have been the mission of Green Corps that called you. Tell us more about the goal that Green Corps has for Chicago. So Green Corps has four unique uh, strategies of, of teaching people. 
landscape, ecological restoration, tree care, and green infrastructure. We try to help people with barriers to employment. Some of those barriers are educational. Some of those barriers are social, economic, criminal justice involved, and just trying to teach some, and give them a good example, but also teach them about the environment. And we do have probably 70 to 85% of the people that come through Green Corps have criminal justice involvement, okay? And then, you know, we have this concept now, which is restorative justice. So now you can have environmental restorative justice because a lot of these individuals, they actually have done damage to the environment and not necessarily physical damage, but physical and social. You know, damn it. So now we text, okay, clean slate, here we are. So let's teach you all not only how to restore your restore the environment, but also restore yourselves and then give back to the communities from which you once harmed. That is really nice. I like that restorative justice approach on both sides. Restore the earth, restore yourself. And there's a lot to be learned. It's, I, I imagine that's therapy. Yes, it is. You know, it is. That's part of therapy for them. Can you talk more about who you employ and maybe give us an example? And also, interest, I mean, when you employ them, are they earning salaries or are they volunteering? I went to the University of Tennessee and our motto is volunteer. So I don't believe in volunteering anymore. I've done that type of work. You know, I've been in the military and I believe in volunteer for that. So I don't believe in volunteering no more. I believe in going to you know, I've done, I look, I volunteer for King and Country and everybody else. I'm done volunteering. And I just believe that if you pay a person a good wage, and then they, they will be more inclined to work better. If you, you know, do it. Now I get it, you know, we, 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 we you know, we have the Kumbaya moments and it's good to volunteer. But if you want to change the community, you have to pay people. You know, you have to pay them a living wage. That's what America is about. But so we do, like I said, don't limit ourselves to the disaggregated and uh, disinvested communities because we take everybody. But we would definitely want to take that underserved, uh, disaggregated person that maybe are on the like outliers in society and kind of bring them in and say, well, hey, look at it from a different lens. Look at it from say, hey, you learn these skills. So as you're learning these skills, you're getting paid uh, minimum wage, which is $15 an hour. You also are kind of creating that social mobility for you and your family and your loved ones and kind of putting, taking you on a, a, a different pipeline than maybe people in your family were. So we try to encourage, and, and we also teach uh, uh, soft skills and try to teach and try to create or reinforce the holistic approach, not just get, paying them, but teaching them soft skills, teaching them hard skills. And we're actually working on real world projects, like real world projects. If you go out now, I could tell you there's some uh, places, you know, in Inglewood that we worked on, places in the Chicago Park District that we worked on, places in Cook County uh, Forest Reserve that we worked on. I mean, I didn't know there was a Sweetwoods, you know, I, I didn't even know myself in the last couple. I'm like, where? Wow, it's out there by Glenwood where I used to skate, you know? So it's like, wow. So it's just understanding, you know, Chicago and then, and then, as a geographer, I understand Chicago, but in terms of as an ecological restorer or even getting into um, nature and the natural spaces in which Chicago is, is known for, it's like, wow, so you're just, just learning about it. And then you start to appreciate the land. It was freezing in Texas, you know, so climate change is real. You know what right. I'm saying? It really is real. 
We have the we have the polar vortex. We have the El Ninos and El Ninas and you know the different weather patterns. So we I want population, especially an underserved, underrepresented population, to understand because it's less than one percent of minorities in this field. Less than one percent. Okay, so we I just want to just have an impact and be able to actually get into a field, not have all the traditional restrictions and traditional barriers, then they can come in and say, hey, do this, and then actually have a real meaningful change in their lives and doing it. You talked about social mobility and Mm -hmm. having skills, having training really impacts the social mobility that one can experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the education piece that might be at play too, because having some college Mm -hmm. credit or some kind of college background can often also propel people forward. Right. So, so what we're doing now is we're in the process of two things, two different pathways. From the Department of Labor, we're in the process of making Green Corps an apprenticeship qualified program during the Department of Labor, which gives the impact on along the same lines of being a pipe fitter, a plumber, an electrician, a carpentry. So that pathway. But then we also working with City College of Chicago, specifically Wright College, to get the um, ICCB certification, which is the Illinois Community College Board certification, that our program can give college credit towards uh, individuals who go through the program. And I know me, I, you know, I, I, I did finish undergrad, you know, teenager, 18 to 24, but I know as an adult, going to school was very challenging with kids, you know, and I mean, it was really challenging. So you want to kind of Say, okay, well, kind of go through this program and then maybe get college credit and it can kind of learn on the pathway so that I can kind of get my associate's degree. And as you, like you said, social mobility, Dr. Amy, and upward mobility. So you get an associate's degree, associate's degree, a couple more years, you get a bachelor's degree and so on and so forth. So we start at $15 an hour, but then once you go, you can go to the Chicago Park District or go to the Cook County Forest Preserve and then start making, you know, $18, $19 now. And then you get some more education, college credits, you can kind of start getting into those middle living wage and middle income wage gaps, and then even go higher professional, you know, where you're making some real good money and really you're changing the intergenerational trajectory. Before you came on, we were talking about that people actually in STEM field and STEM degrees, they make more money Right. Other professions. I mean, there's a wealth of employment out there if you're in a STEM field. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about how Green Corps is funded and about the sustainability of Green Corps? Okay. So, so Green Corps has been around since 1994. So it's been around for 27 years. Wow, I didn't oh. know that. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And, that, and we're actually doing some branding on getting us more uh, notoriety and more a branding out into the public so they know who we are. Right. That's how that's how I connected with you. I saw right. it and I said, oh, I want to do that. Right. I want to volunteer. I grew up in Inglewood. Right. I want right. to do that. Right. And, and, and just, in, just in case, we actually are building four urban farms in Inglewood right now as we speak. And one of them are always complete. It's at 58th and Halsted if you want to go by and take a look at it. We did all that. Also, in terms of hiring, We've been around for like 27 years and we've started a program with the urban gardens and teaching communities about urban gardening and teaching communities how to take these vacant lots 
and transform them into a beautiful place, a place of you no, know, a peaceful place, but also a place that actually works for them. You have the vegetables, and you know, of course, in the wintertime, no, but definitely starting to how to remediate the land, how to grow the vegetables, teaching classes, how to grow raised beds, how you take the soil and how you can transform the soil and use the soil, maybe lacking in this mineral or take this over here and use this mineral. So just kind of just teaching people in certain communities who probably have never farmed, who have never even had a class in horticulture or botany and teaching them really how to you know self-sustain and being more sustainable. You know, now they have these pop-up vegetable gardens, they have these pop, pop-up farmers markets, you know, and we and I don't know if you guys know, but you know, vegetables are high in uh <laughs> in stores right now. Yes. Commodity. So what you want we want to do is we want to teach generations, you know, connecting the the big mamas and the grandmamas who used to back in the day to the young people say, well this is how you do it. This, this is how you grow. This is how the, and, and vegetables are good for you. Green vegetables are good for you. Even with my own kids and teaching them like it is dang it's nasty. But when you start to learn the process and they start to respect the process, start to understand the process. It's like, oh, this is pretty cool. And the science behind that, because this is a science. You know, it is a science. You know, I know you guys know, well, you know, probably around the same age, but like. Why, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 35, of course, you know. <laughs> so, you know, everybody thought that George Washington Carver was just the peanut guy, but he was a botanist. You know, he was, I mean, he was a scientist. He understood how how to take the nitri- nitrogen in, in the soil and and put in, with the peanut and put nitrogen back in the soil and the crop rotation and start to have well you can't grow vegetables here but you grow there after you till the soil and, and take the chemicals and put them back in the soil or the minerals put them back in the soil and and then how if you put to plant this year tomatoes over here and you plant corn over here then guess what if you plant rutabagas over here then you know with what tomatoes are because the tomatoes and the remnants of what the tomato gave off in the soil will make the rutabagas grow so that a whole complex science of just botany and horticulture it's like just amazing once you really get into it so just teaching on that level so we're getting back into the community uh this year um and trying to kind of just get people to eat healthier you know we know about you know like United States has the highest mortality rate, highest obesity rate. So we have to really look at like, okay, like the food systems, the health systems, like oh, how can we be a change maker with those, you know, on a small scale. And then if we use a small scale, kind of scale up, scale up, scale up, and hopefully we'll be able to make an impact. I am an English teacher and you are getting me excited. About <laughs> It's fascinating listening to your excitement about vegetables and growing and knowing the science behind this. It has to really impact the people that you work with. And what I'd love to hear is some a, a success story. Where do people work after their involvement? You mentioned the park district. So, so we have one. We have one. We have actually a couple. We have one gentleman now. We do on the segment we did on Channel Seven. He did some serious federal time and he went through the program about about seven eight years ago and then he went on to a different he went from green Corps on to a different agency out in the south suburbs and made some really good money through a grant they had out there jermaine ended up coming back and then he's been working as a crew supervisor and now he's actually going to be promoted to uh 
a project supervisor now, you know, with, within Green Corps after he came back. And then there's another gentleman, and Henry did some serious time for a serious crime. And he came to Green Corps. Now he works for the uh, Cook County Forest Preserve, and he's making some really good money. He's at the professional level now. You know, he's making some professional wages. And he actually is like really, really, really good. And, and he comes back and he speaks to some of the, um, or the, or the new trainees. But then also we have three or four people that we've actually hired on that have been with Green Corps that were trainees. We, we, we've impacted a lot of people in underserved communities. So. so we are talking to Dr. Andrew Lee Hines, Dr. Drew, part of the Dr. Amy, Dr. Joy, Dr. Drew show. We're talking about everything. We have talked about STEM. We've talked about urban agriculture. We've talked about eating healthy. We've talked about restorative justice. We've just hit on so many points and it all kind of revolves around, you're just perfect for this mission and for this job. Your background, starting as a child in your family for social justice, mm -hmm. your career in criminal justice, and the ability to relate to some of the people that you're working with and to catapult them to the next level, to give them opportunities and working in agriculture. I mean, it's just a perfect match for you. You were built for this and we're so happy to be talking to you today. Thank you. Earlier, Amy and I, we were talking about kind of some ebbs and flows in STEM fields. Mm -hmm. And at some time, it feels like it was kind of a fad that mm -hmm. everybody's on this track to do STEM. And then you have these down periods. But STEM, you know, there's this huge need. It's here to stay. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, with Green Court, how do you respond to such a need? How do people find you? How do people get involved in what you're doing? Okay, well, we have a Green Corps, www.greencorpschicago.org. That's one way uh, to find us on, and usually we'll be out in the community. So if you see like the Green Corps sign like that, and it has like all the, like the, we have little um, safety vests, you might see us. So we're working in the Emerald South area, which is the Washington Park area, we're working in the, on the west side in the middle uh, uh, the Madison Pulaski corridor. We're also working, uh, like I said, Inglewood in the park districts, but like I said, uh, greencorpschicago.org, so you can find us. But we um, are housed at the CCGT, which is the Chicago Center for Green Technology. We built this podcast out of a theory versus practice question. <laughs> okay. Joy and I are and she's going to hit you with it. <laughs> uh, throughout your education, there's a lot of theory that we learn mm -hmm. and we want to put it into practice, but we know it's a much more complex question than that. The two are intertwined so much and there's a next step. Mm -hmm. you know, what do you say with theory, practice? What is that next? The level? next step is called application. And that's what we learn. We learn theoretic theory, we learn practicum, and we learn application. So I, so you know, I, you know, I'm gonna say my little uh, example that you know I told Joy is just like you know we all had shop. You know, I went to Chicago School of Agriculture Science, and a lot of my friends went to CVS, and 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 these trade kind of 
based schools. And like we had the shops where you did the mechanics you know, with the cars and it's cool. And I've done it. You know, you have a car that you pull in and it's 70, 80 degrees in the shop. You know, you're trying, you're changing a tire, you know, you got the, the little wheel well and little wrench and stuff like that. It's perfect controlled environment. But that's not how life happens. Everybody knows. 30 degrees. A 30, 30 no. degrees, right, right. There's 30 But what I'm saying is that you own 290, coming home from a party, you're kicking it. And it's. You got your nice it's, shoes it's, on, right? Right, right. December, you got your Stacey Adams on, you got your Ferragamo's on. Or you got, you know, or you guys got your Louboutins or your, you know, or, or, or your stilettos on, and you get a flat tire. You're not trying to wait on the Minuteman from the state to come. It's 30, you know, degrees outside with a windshield of minus 15. It's snowing. It's two o'clock in the morning, and now you got to change the flat tire. So now, how do you deal with? Oh, so you have to rely on those theories and those in that practice that you did. But how do you apply those things? Can you remember? what to do. Can you remember how to be safe? Can you remember these things? So I'm in terms of the applicationist. So how do we apply these theories and these principles? Like, and I know all of us are like, I would consider myself a practicing academic because I'm, I teach, but also am in the, in the field. How do we apply these principles? How do, how do we use these principles? You know, like data. I have a, well, my colleagues always have this argument about data. Data's good, but guess what? When you look at data, what you're looking at, you're looking at people or you're looking at incidents. So you have to take the data, the whole meso or the macro data and micro analyze it to understand the people. So if you do that, you know, that is, that's the whole gamut. That's the micro, that's the macro, the meso and the micro. You have to take all that into consideration. Synthesize it. Yeah, right, I love it. Exactly. I, I have a, a quiz for you. Okay. <laughs> Amy failed earlier. Do you remember the movie Silkwood with Cher? I and Cher was a research microscopist. That was my first job with my degree in biology. Oh, <laughs> I wow. was a research microscopist. Okay. And while I was a research microscopist, which was kind of the lowest job. Okay. at this research <laughs> firm, okay. I went back to Governor State University to earn my master's degree in environmental biology and had wonderful experience at Governor State University. That was my first time in a helicopter, you know, not a plane, but a helicopter, very different. You know, we were studying cattle, doing some things like that. So, so you're right. I mean, you really have to be able to activate this stuff. You have to synthesize this information, get your hands dirty, literally. Yes. Right? You know, I was out there chasing voles and things like that. Uh, <laughs> so it was amazing. But GSU, they still have that wonderful program, mm -hmm. but also we have a STEM camp every summer okay. for, I think, age nine all the way to 18. They make robots. They do a lot of coding, but it's a wonderful program, and we service all the local schools in the south suburb. So it's wonderful. So, I mean, we need more programs like what we're doing at GSU okay. and what you're doing but I have, I have a final question for you, okay. but I, because we talked about so much mm -hmm. to talk about that connection between that social justice STEM mm -hmm. and how is our basic responsibility as good citizens? Okay. So I'm gonna tell you like my grand, cause you know, I have to rely on my grandparents, grandparents. My grandfather told, taught me something at a very early age. 
four things, basic things. Land, man, plan, then the claim. Oh, say that again, Drew. Land, if you believe in creation or if you believe in evolution, what came first? The land came first. And then after the land came first, the man came second. After the man came, then you had to plan. That's the geography. And then after you planned it, I know some of us did it backwards, but then you created a family, which is the clan. Wow. So all those are intersecting with each other, right? So the land is what? Geography. The man is what? Psychology, sociology. The plan is pretty much is intertwined with the sociology and the ethnography. And then the clan is actually the sociology. How do we, the society, how do we socialize? Socialize our kids. How do we socialize with each other? How do we teach? So all those four concepts. So that's kind of how you kind of put everything together. If you, we have to eat, okay? Eating is essential. And it's going to come a time where, you know, we may not have the genetically modified stuff. We may have to go right back to where we're doing the, like the gathering and learning how to uh, be sustainable and learning how to actually uh, grow our own food. So how we, we put everything together, how we teach is you teach according to our history. How do we evolve to where we're at now? You know, we weren't eating cereal. We're the cereal we were eating. We're like oatmeal, you know, or maize or something like that. We weren't eating Captain Crunch. Or fruit loops. Or fruit loops, right. You know what I'm saying? We really have to go back to an essence of simplicity, but also the complexity of the simplicity, meaning understanding how we, in teaching our children, teaching the next generation. So have that intergenerational wealth, but health, but that knowledge is that we, we have lost a lot of institutional knowledge. And what I mean is interest, institutional knowledge about humanity. You know, I have another saying is that a lot of us, I've been fortunate enough to be able to understand who I am and where I come from. And because of who I am and I come from, then I do the work. And then once I do the work, then guess what I can do? I can be. And I can be the best human being from being able to know who I am, done the work. And then you have that, like you said, good stewards of not only each other, but of the planet too. Joy and I are both teacher educators. We are in higher ed, in educator preparation, and we always want to make sure to speak to the educators out there, uh, whether they are high school teachers, administrators, counselors, and for so long, college has been that traditional way. And of course, we want to welcome students to our university, but we want to welcome them when they're ready at any point in their lives, whether it's right out of high school, as a career change, whatever point they decide higher education is for them. I want to get your thoughts or see if you have some advice for counselors or high school teachers to help them see that there are alternate ways to work and while also gaining an education, what would you tell them about these different pathways? What are those last tips that you would share with them? Authenticity. I believe is being authentic with people, being authentic with 
the students. Because sometimes students say, ah, oh, this is what I got to do. Mm, you know, and sometimes, number one, you got to meet them where they're at. Okay, you have to meet them. Okay, they may not be ready, but if you give them enough advice and be very authentic, I'm going to go say what my granddad used to tell me. Yeah, he would say this, and I never understood this till I got you know, wrong. He would say, intimacy without authenticity is seduction. And a, lot of these, and a lot of these students feel like they're being seduced to do something. Right, you're because, right. Because they're, because they're not, they don't feel the intimacy. They're not they part of the process. Right, part of it, right, part of the process. And they don't, and, and they don't, and they say, okay, trust the process, trust the process. But you ask them to trust something, but they don't, but they're not involved in it. You're not asking them, okay, what do you think? What do you feel? What's going on with you? So they're being seduced into these, situations and it's like and they and then they follow the lead trust the process but right. they're not part of the process and then they don't understand the process so then you throw them out there and then they end up failing and falling on you know falling down and it's like and then you look at them well see i told you no you have to tr you have to build trust so that's why i say the you got to be intimate with the students get to know them whether they're 80 whether they're you know however age they are but you have to be authentic i didn't like college until grad school that's when I really got into like, oh my God, I'm having fun in the community, this and that. My grad school professors, they became intimate with me. They started understanding. We started having conversations. They said, this is the why, this is this, this is that. Because the who, what, when, where, and why. But we always leave out the why. And then we never tell them that the how is going to come, but you got to figure out the why first. Right. That's really powerful. You know, every 18 year old, coming out of high school is not ready to go to college and oftentimes especially if you're an educator or you're you know we push our kids right to college and they're not ready and they're not successful so that readiness and readiness is not just about academics right it's you need to hold buy-in and right. you need to know how it's going to impact you so that's something that's powerful for anyone that's a parent right which i am too <laughs> really i mean right Right. Uh, but it has been wonderful talking to you, Dr. Drew, the philosopher, <laughs> the scientist, the activist. Thank you. <laughs> we have learned their wisdom, which is pretty <laughs> amazing. You've talked about the why. It's got to be the why of your life. Right. And how right. it relates to you. And what you've talked about today is just so enlightening and inspiring. And I know our listeners will be inspired as well. Continue yeah. to do all the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I really do appreciate it, Dr. Amy, Dr. Joy. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.